Well, we have God's Word to uh, open up, and so I hope you have a Bible on your phone or in your hands, a real print one. We're going to be in Romans chapter 16 today and also next Sunday, and then we'll be finishing this letter. Today we consider verses 17 to 23. So let's get right to it and read that text and ask for the Lord's help and understanding. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Let's pray. We know this isn't just Paul's word to the church in Rome, but your word to us this morning, Lord. So we thank you for it and ask that by your spirit you would help us to understand its application to our life and also the joy and the hope and the promises that are still contained herein. Um, build now again, again and again, your church through your word and through your spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's something that's really surprising about the content of what we just read. Coming as it does in this particular part of the letter. It's so surprising that some commentators think that particularly verses 17 to 20 don't belong here, that somebody added it later. But it does belong here, and I think it will become very clear why it does uh, and why it makes perfect sense that it is here. So let me just explain what the fuss is about. The verses 1 through 16 that come before this passage, we went through this last week, those are all greetings from Paul to a number of people in the church of Rome by name. So it's encouraging, it's uplifting, he's commending people for their for their hard labor, for being fellow workers, and so forth. It's all greetings, it's all upbeat, it's all very encouraging. That trend continues in verses 21 to 23, which you heard, uh, except the difference is these are people that are greeting the church besides Paul. These are his co-laborers who are with him. So he mentions Timothy, Lucius, Jason, Sisypater, Gaius, Erastus, and Quartus. These are all men who are working with or helping Paul the Apostle in his ministry to churches. And so they send their greetings also. And I love verse 22, which is just so human. 
I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Tertius was an amanuensis or a scribe, somebody who's writing down what somebody else dictates. And it's like Tertius is like, you know, I'm going to get my name in here. You know, it's like a photobomb you know, of a family picture. You know, like, I, Tertius, I say hi too. You know, like, did he get permission from Paul before he did that? Or he did just write it right in there. Uh, I just love that. Scripture is so human. Uh, so Paul's closing this letter up on an encouraging note. And in between his greetings to the church and other people's greetings to the church, we have something that seems to interrupt the flow and comes out of nowhere. We have this strong warning in verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Why is this here? Why is this in the middle of all these greetings? When it seems like Paul's just wrapping up and, and kind of ending here. That's why some people think it's out of place. They don't see the connection. But I think if you're a pastor especially, this makes total sense. This is Paul's warning. Indeed, it's the Lord's warning. That if you aren't careful, you can lose your grip on all the good news that is contained in this letter. Paul doesn't want to close this letter down before he's saying, you can lose this. Everything I just said for 15 chapters, all the encouragement that's there, all the freedom that's there, the security that's there, you can lose your grip on that if you're not careful. And that's worth interrupting the greetings to put that in there, whether that just came into his head or if he'd meant to say it somewhere. Now it's got to be in there. In verse 19, he says, Your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. That's his description of the Roman church. You know, He said this is all kind of by way of reminder, and I'm reinforcing it with this really long letter. But I know that you guys are basically a solid church. I know that you're able to instruct one another. I know that God's grace is on you. I know that you get the gospel. But you could lose that obedience, the obedience of faith, the obedience of 12 to 14 that results from the faith of 1 to 11. You could lose all that. Why? Because there are those who cause divisions and who create obstacles. There are those who want to unravel all that you have in Christ, and all that you've laid hold of. That's a concern that all of us should have. Because we could lose what we have gained by way of understanding as we've gone through this letter in the Bible and the Bible and other places, all of it. We can lose the relief of understanding that Jesus died bearing God's wrath in our place and for our sins and that we don't have to do something to atone. We can lose the security of knowing that God has his sovereign hand on our lives. We can lose the hope of resurrection and the redemption of our bodies in a renewed world and just look horizontally at the problems in front of us. We can lose the comfort of knowing the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer and animates us and gives us life. We can lose 
the transformed life that results from knowing the mercies of God in Christ. Our grip on those things can be lost. But this passage is here to help us not to do that. It's here to make the good news of Romans stick to our souls. So let's receive from the Lord this morning what we need in order for it to stick. Let's start with how we can lose what we have gained. How we can lose what we've gained. Here it is from verse 17 again. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Paul says there are people, and you should know that they exist, who will do two things to bring you down if they can. They will cause divisions, and they will create obstacles. So let's consider those two threats in turn. Those who cause divisions. This is about dividing the church. There are people who will put a wedge in between believers in the local church, not to mention the church at large. They will make you argue. They will make you pass judgment on one another. They will make your differences more important than your common identity in Christ. They will cause you to pull away from life together and go your separate ways. They cause divisions. They also create obstacles. That's the same word Paul used in Romans 14, 13. When he says, decide never to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother. They will cause you to stumble in your faith and your obedience by creating obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. The doctrine of Romans, the doctrine of the Bible. You were taught well from the scriptures he, he implies, you, you, you know what's going on. You understand the life implications of, of Christ crucified. But then somebody comes and trips you up with a contrary doctrine. That's the threat. And so you lose confidence in what you're doing for the Lord. And you lose confidence in the hope that you have. And now you take a different direction. Do you want to know a perfect example of this? Is the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 who says to Eve, Did God actually say, You shall not die? You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God says one thing, and the devil says a contrary thing and throws up this obstacle to Adam and Eve who are walking perfectly, who have a, lot, have a great thing going here in a perfect world, and now it's all going to be unraveled because of contrary doctrine. Somebody who sows some new thing, a, a contrary idea that God didn't say, and now Eve isn't so sure anymore. Maybe God isn't being honest. Maybe the serpent is the one to believe. Maybe I've been duped. And so she eats of the tree and she loses everything that she had in the garden. They're forced out of Eden into a world that's now broken by sin. That threat is ever there, <laughs> friends. That didn't stop in the garden. That continues 
The devil hasn't gone away. Jesus said he is a thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And he does it through those who cause divisions and create obstacles with doctrine. That is, with teaching that is contrary to what you learned in Romans and what you learn in the Scriptures. Paul describes them in verse 18 as persons who do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, who by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. In other words, the threat to your faith and your obedience doesn't come as something that's clearly wrong, that you would reject immediately. It comes smoothly. It it comes in a way that flatters you. It has some appeal. It, It resonates with your desires and your fears. That's why you are tempted to believe it. And ever so subtly, it pulls you away from the truth about God and about Christ. There are such persons who are talking and who will do that to you if you let them. For example, is God's wrath and a literal hell a problem for you? Well, good news. God isn't full of wrath towards you, and there is no literal hell. And Jesus did not die bearing God's wrath for your sins. He died as an example of suffering. He died as one who liberates you from the power of sin. But he didn't die for your actual sins. You can buy books that say that, and they're best-selling books. You can hear teaching that says, Yeah, you need to trust Jesus to be saved, but your own good behavior also counts. You also need that in order to be right with God. And so there's this this subtle puffing you up. Yeah, I think I can do it. I think I can can get there. I, I can meet the standard. Or maybe you'll hear the opposite teaching. Yeah, you need faith in Jesus, but it doesn't matter how you live after that. So if you're zealous to obey God and keep his commands, then you're a legalist. You don't understand grace. Those are doctrines contrary to what you learn in Romans. And they trip you up. And there's a bunch of them. (laughs) They're all over the place. There are many obstacles to your relationship with God and you're walking in the beat obedience and they have some appeal because wouldn't it be great if hell didn't really exist who doesn't want to believe that or or that i can be good enough to make god accept me or that obeying scripture commands doesn't matter that appeals to the flesh people who serve themselves and not christ will tell you those things and you will find them on blogs on social media in your news feed and even potentially in your own church Paul said to the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20, 29 to 30, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Those who cause division and create obstacles can come from outside and they can come from inside. So let me just speak to you for a moment from the heart as a pastor of the church. And I know Dan and Todd 
would be with me in this. They think the same way. My number one concern for the church at all times is that you will stumble in your faith and your obedience because of those who are speaking twisted things that are believable. And they're not serving Christ. They are serving themselves. And they want you to follow. That's what keeps me up at night. That's what goes through my mind and through your pastor's mind when we're writing sermons because we're trying to say, what's the truth? The truth will set us free, not this other stuff. So God, what do you say in your word? That's where life is. And they need it. But there's those who are saying other things. So we pray, Lord, help us. Help us to say clearly what your word says. That's why we preach expositionally. We take the text, and we let the text tell us what to say. And we try and say that as best as we can. And it's not always amazing, but we're trying to get to what it says so that you can see what it says and that you can see that our conclusions come from what it says and that teaches us how to read our Bibles. So go to the authority, that's the word, and be helped by teachers who have the gift of teaching and who are called to pastor your souls. But the word is the authority. So go there. (laughs) And that's why also we spent seven years as a denomination hammering out our statement of faith more accurately, more clearly, more broadly, because we want to put a stake in the ground that says God's word is truth and it is our life. It is no idle word for us. And so we don't want to stray. We don't want some contrary doctrines that cause stumbling blocks. Persecution is bad, and nobody wants it. But according to Scripture and according to human history, that doesn't destroy the church. That strengthens it. What destroys the church is twisted doctrines. It's Christians who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, Ephesians 4.14. And that's why our pastoral ears perk up (laughs) when we hear somebody, especially somebody that's committed to our care, saying something that's off. (laughs) Especially the closer it gets to the gospel, the more our ears tingle. (laughs) Wait a minute now. (laughs) That can't be left uh, unaffected. unconfronted that we have to talk about any pastor who's got a heart after jesus is going to be concerned about that when we start straying from the truth of the gospel for something else and so may the lord help us pray for us (laughs) that we can do that so there's a danger you can lose your grip on your faith on, on the comfort of it, on the assurance of it, on the freedom of it. You can lose your obedience that springs from it. But it doesn't have to win the day. That doesn't have to be the last word. 
And so let's move to the next point, which is what do we do to not lose what we've gained? What do we do to not lose what we've gained? Again, verse 17, Paul says, watch out for those who cause divisions. Avoid them. Watch out for. In other words, be vigilant. Be alert that you can be. You, you, not just your neighbor, you. You can be drawn away from Christ. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. You are not immune to believing wrong things and being deceived. This is a call to be discerning about your own vulnerabilities and about those who would take advantage of those vulnerabilities. It's a call to weigh carefully the messages and the worldviews that we are hearing or reading or watching. When I was a new believer, I thought a Christian bookstore was a safe place. I mean, I knew I could pick up any book, and it had to be good, right? Because this is a Christian bookstore, right? <laughs> what could be wrong with anything in here? And I found out there were plenty of things that were wrong with some of those books that go by the name Christian. Today, the bookstore has been replaced by Kindle and endless internet feeds and venues and media. And it's accessible 24-7. And that's not to mention all the secular books and and blogs and news that are coming at you with all these different worldviews that didn't originate with the Scripture by, by God's common grace, there's a lot of good stuff out there. We thank God for that. But because of human sin in the human heart, every human heart, there's a lot of bad stuff mixed in with that that might come at you smoothly, that might flatter you. And so it's, it's believable. This is why Paul particularly mentions the naive as prone to stumbling. He says, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. You are naive if you don't understand the human condition that sin is in every human heart. And it affects how we speak and how we think. You are naive if you don't realize that your news feed is teaching you a worldview that may or may not be according to Christ. You are naive if you receive confident assertions and opinions as fact without asking the question, does this line up with what God says and how Scripture teaches me to think? The way not to be naive is to know your Bible very well and compare everything that you hear to that. That's what will make you wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Verse 19, the wise person sees the beauty and the goodness of Christ, the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross, how he wants to live as a result of that, and he doesn't want anything to interfere with that. I want to love what is good. I want to abhor what is evil from Romans chapter 12. And what I find is good in this. This. This is good. So, what do we do to not stumble in our faith and obedience? It's by being in your Bibles and on your knees 
a lot. With our Bibles open, we resonate with David in Psalm 23. Lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Oh, do that. Or with the psalmist in Psalm 139. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And with the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 6.13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We read and we pray like that because life is in Jesus Christ and every departure from him is a kind of death. So we watch out. And the other thing Paul says to do is avoid them. <laughs> avoid them. Avoid the people that would cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Our default posture as believers towards all people is to welcome them, to move towards people in love and service. But there's also a time to just avoid certain people. Keep away from them. Don't listen to all that they have to say. And that time is when you encounter someone who's going to damage your faith and divide your church with twisted teaching. Obviously, our ability to recognize that person is going to require the first thing, which is being in your Bible and being on your knees. And I would add, being in the local church and the fellowship that's there, because we need one another to help discern. Paul wrote this to a church, not just to individuals. Discernment happens in a group as well, so we don't stay in our own head, but we have other people that are challenging, sharpening, and all that. Um, obviously, we have to have discernment to identify these people. But then there comes a time when you just have to stop listening to the one that's going to damage your faith or divide your church. So you unfriend them if you need to. Unsubscribe to their podcast. Get rid of their book. Switch to a different news feed. Whatever it takes, just avoid them. They are not good for you. They are not good for the church. They are not servants of Christ. That might sound harsh, but if your own faith and the unity of the church is at stake, it's worth it. Jesus died to rescue you from these things and to build a community. That's how important it is to him. Now, I should add one thing here. We might take this as a license to distance ourselves from a brother or sister in Christ just because we don't agree with them. <laughs> just because they say something that I don't like or something that is a little bit off. And then this passage gets used to do the very thing it's, it's intending to prevent, which is to divide the church. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you only can listen to people who are right all the time, well, then you are going to be alone. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, this is just who we are, right? We're all on a journey. We're all at different places of our understanding. Everybody's wrong about something. Me too. <laughs> so we can't just say, oh, that was wrong. I'm out of here. We press in. We lean in. This is, that's not the kind of people Paul has in mind. He's talking about people that are intent on getting converts to their way of thinking. 
who won't rest until you've bought into their contrary doctrine and who are probably unteachable. That's the person you should avoid. Because if you don't, you will stumble, and that's not good. Let me just close with some good news or add one more point here. We've talked about the threat to our faith. We've talked about um, what we do to resist that threat. But if we leave it just there, that would be very burdensome, wouldn't it? Like a person who's told, your house could catch on fire at any moment. What are you going to do? You're going to start like researching stuff, you know, buying systems and sensors and alarms, and you're going to have fire drills with your family, and you're going to like look out for how can I keep my house from burning down, and it's all about you and your ability to stop the threat. Well, fortunately, that's not what we have to deal with in this category. The good news is that it, all, it doesn't all depend on you. It ultimately depends on God. He's also involved in this war, and that's the last point. We have to look at what God has done so that we don't lose what we have gained. God has done something, and it's determinative for us. Here's what Paul says in verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's take those two sentences one at a time. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This takes us back to what happened in the Garden of Eden. It's the serpent, Satan, who is behind all the attacks on your faith and on the church. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy, not just bodies, but souls. He's the adversary who prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8. So behind the smooth talk, behind all the flattery that's contrary to the doctrine you've been taught is the devil who wants to bring you down. He's the, the initiator, the instigator, the propagator of all of this, just like he was with Adam and Eve. But here's the really great thing to remember. Satan is a defeated foe. The God of peace will soon crush him under your feet, the devil and those who are influenced by him can still cause trouble, but he's already lost the battle for the soul of the believer. And that's because God made a promise in the garden. The same day Adam and Eve stumbled, it's the promise of Genesis 3.15. He said to Satan that an offspring of Eve, one of her descendants shall bruise your head. The NIV says, crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's a reference to the cross of Christ. The devil bruised the heel of Jesus. He entered Judas. He influenced him to betray Jesus, leading to the crucifixion. But it wasn't a fatal blow, because Jesus rose from the dead, the cross actually became the means by which Jesus crushed the head of the serpent because he took away his power to condemn and to entrap and to rule us. He took away our sin, which was what separated us from God and kept us out of his favor. And so by the cross, Jesus brings in a people into his kingdom, the kingdom of the beloved son, and there we are safe from the ruler of this world. 
And there's nothing that Satan can ultimately do to us. Yes, he will cause trouble, divisions, obstacles. That's not going to go away in this life. But he can't do the ultimate harm. He can't keep you from the eternal joy in the kingdom of God. Jesus won on the cross. He won for you, believers. He's a defeated foe. And Paul is saying here, there's a day when you're going to see it completely. Right now, he's giving you trouble. There's a day when he's not going to give anybody trouble anymore. It's in Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. He will never afflict you again. You will see the day when Satan is crushed beneath your feet because he's crushed beneath Christ's feet and you enter into that victory and you will see it one day. You'll see the end that you have the victory, not him. And he says it soon. <laughs> like Aslan in the Narnia books, I call all time soon, right? We don't know when it is, but it's soon. It's going to happen. Bank on that. So it's not just you against the devil and his schemes. It's not just the fire that you're trying to put out. It doesn't come down to your ability to discern the threats and face those who are who are giving those threats. What ultimately wins the day is the God of peace who will crush Satan beneath your feet. He has defeated him, he is defeating him, and he will defeat him for you. In the meantime, while we're waiting, we have God's grace to sustain us. Because Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's not so much a, a wish or a prayer as it is a confident statement. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. <laughs> I know that it will be. <laughs> I'm reminding you here at the end, but it's with you, brothers and sisters. It will be. You have the unmerited favor of God on your life as a believer in Jesus. It's by grace that you have been saved. Ephesians Two, it's grace that is sufficient for us. 2 Corinthians 12, it's his power that makes, is made perfect in our weakness. That is with you day by day while Satan is giving you trouble through those who cause divisions and create obstacles. Grace is with you. Grace will win the day. God is here. His favorable presence always goes with you into the fray. So that's the encouragement. So like Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10, we can say, I worked hard, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me, that is with you. I'll just close with this. The letter to Romans, as with all Scripture, contains words of life. The good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Sometimes those words make us uncomfortable and people want us to move away from that. You might want to move away from it. Oftentimes they are challenged, especially when they confront our culture. 
And always they will be opposed by those who cause divisions and create obstacles. So we must be vigilant and watchful. But remember who is the most vigilant, (laughs) the most watchful, and who has the power to defeat and has defeated the devil. That is the God of peace who gives us grace for every single day through Jesus Christ. That's what got us through 2020. That's going to get us through 2021 and every year after. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, for more understanding and a firm grip on all the liberating truth of the Bible, would you fill our hearts with it? Thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Be pleased to form yourself, your character in us. Keep us from evil. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.